God doesn't leave us. His love for us is not contingent upon our external circumstances. He's bigger than that. And that's what's going to give us the hope that we need as we talk about today. How do we survive life? How do we overcome disasters? Right? Because if God didn't love us and he was kind of fickle, we wouldn't really have much of a gospel of peace. And there's a lot of things in life that we wouldn't be able to overcome. That is the foundation. A foundation for overcoming our lives and surviving the things has for us has a lot less to do with us than it does with God and his nature. Because God is who he is, we can live the lives that he gave us to live with hope and dignity and purpose. That's why. Right? It's an amazing thing. So spend time with God and memorize this verse and think about who he is. Powerful, powerful stuff. All right. Now, this is a new series, Overcoming Life. And the idea behind it was this. A year ago, we had this disaster that came through, and it messed up a lot of our lives, right? Our church, half of our church building over there, still can't use it, right? We had all kinds of problems. I, you know, my own house, I had issues. You guys did, too. A lot of you had to use outhouses for months on end, and that was miserable. We've had a lot of friends and family that were part of this fellowship have to leave the valley because they lost their businesses, their jobs, right, their homes, And it's been hard and tragic. We've suffered a disaster. And I was thinking about this as the anniversary of it rolled around, and I realized that this was but one of many storms that we face in life. Right? Disaster hits. I don't know if you've seen the news recently, but disasters, there's all kinds of disasters all over the world. Disaster hits. But it's not just nature that comes against us. Right? Oftentimes, uh, it can be uh, internal disasters. Things like financial problems or divorce that that come in and destroy and wreck people's lives, right? It could be illness that comes in your life, an unwelcome guest that just won't leave. What do you do then, right? How about that? How about injustice? When you're going about your day and the world and the system of justice fails you, what happens then? What happens with all of us, eventually we are faced with death. And people that we know and love die, Not to mention we ourselves. How about those storms? Is God big enough? Does he carry us through those things? Instead of going to some kind of theological idea of how we should overcome them, I had this brilliant idea along with my staff that helped me come with this idea, so I'm going to take credit. (laughs) How about looking at the people in the Bible who have struggled through these same things? Because we're not the only ones. Sometimes when the disaster hits, we feel like, where are you, God? And I'm the only one. Maybe he's against me. And you know what? There are people in Scripture that have gone through these exact same things. And God was with them. And he carried them through them. And we can learn a lot just by looking at their lives and seeing how God helped them. And identifying with that. And and putting the practice of the things they did right. And then learning from the things that they didn't do so well. (laughs) Right? That's one of the awesome things of Scripture. And so the first disaster that we're going to, of course, going to talk about today is disaster. I mean, just legit disaster. And I was thinking about a guy in the Bible that maybe knew a thing or two about disaster. <laughs> right? Noah, right? Here's this guy. He's, he's in the world, and he loves the Lord. And when he's 400, people lived a long time back then. I'm so glad. I don't live then. Um, he's 480 years old, a spry young man in his middle ages, really. And God says, 
I'm going to wipe the world clean of people in 120 years. I'm done with people because they are wicked and bad and they just, every thought in their head is ugly. And so I'm just going to, I'm mad that I made them. It was a bad idea. And so we're done with them. And yet Noah was a righteous man. And so God came to him and said, you're going to build yourself a boat because I'm going to basically wipe the world clean. New, new start, right? That's what I'm going to do. And so it gave him all of the dimensions, told him what to do. And uh, Noah builds this boat we call an ark. And God brings animals to it. And they, you know, Noah, of course, has to get all the food for them and harvest all that. And when he's 600 years old, gets on this boat, and God closes the door and the rain starts falling, and everything Noah knew changed in a day. Right? The world that he knew, his job, his neighbors, right? his family other than his, his sons and, and their wives, his friends, everything. Uh, the, the, not just the people that he knew, but the structures. Every civilization wiped out. Every landmark that he ever knew, gone. And the waters kept coming down for 40 days. Now we had, what, like a week, two weeks of rain? And it wasn't really that bad. That's what surprised all of us. We're like, it's not all that bad, but it's bad. Their rain was bad. And it came down and the earth opened up and all of the strings from under the ground started coming up and rushing forward. There were earthquakes and it was bad. And if you want to know what it was like, don't watch the movie Noah because it has nothing to do. That was, I was so disappointed. I was like, man, that would have been really cool. But it was bad. All of a sudden, everything, catastrophe, death, loss, destruction. This is what this man faced and his family. And, and if you think going to an outhouse for a couple months is bad, being on a boat with a bunch of animals for a year. <laughs> wow. That would have been a fun cruise. So he's on this boat, and eventually the rain stops, and the waters recede, and, and then they land, and they're still there, and the ground's muddy, and it takes a while for things to grow, and animals you know, can't just walk around on the mud, so they've got to wait, sit on this boat. And they're waiting and they're waiting and he sends out a dove and the dove comes back. And I'm like, ah, nothing yet. He sends it out again, eventually comes back, you know, with the branch on it. And he's like, something's growing. That's exciting. And it takes a while for things to grow. And he sends it out again and it disappears. And he's like, must be safe, which would not be my first thought. (laughs) But it was his. And God says, get off the boat. And they do. And then he starts life. And this is where we are. Okay. And he gets off and he goes into this world that just surreal. Can you imagine? Everything that you thought you knew. Plus, you have no idea where you are. You've been on a boat for a year, floating around on top of the waters till you ran into a mountain. He gets off. Where am I? Nothing looks the same. Every, I mean, there is no such thing as civilization anywhere. You are the only people. And life has to begin again. That is disaster. I think if you kind of come up with a definition of I went through a disaster, that's it. There's no FEMA for Noah. Right? <laughs> It is not. He just comes off and it's like, okay, survive. Everything's different. This is Noah. How did he survive? How did he thrive? Right? How did he not just survive this, this horrible encounter but actually overcome it? Because today, I mean, look at the world. There is life everywhere. There are people everywhere. Noah overcame the most horrible disaster. And 
And I tell you what, there were times last year when that flood hit and I just felt this loss and overwhelming. Like, what am I going to do? But I had friends and families and we have a great infrastructure. We're blessed to live in this nation where we have that. I mean, we had a lot of things to support us. And I was overwhelmed. I'm like, how am I going to survive this? That, my thought it wasn't overcoming. How am I going to you know, turn this into something good? I was just like, how am I going to get through this? How am I going to survive? Noah shows us a pattern. He did some things really well that I think can help us to overcome the disasters of life so we don't have to be afraid of them. Right? Everybody thinks catastrophic thinking. This would be the ultimate catastrophic thinking. You say, how bad can it possibly get? Well, Noah is about as bad as it could possibly get. So how did he overcome that? Because if we have that and we understand what did he do right, we don't have to fear disaster. We can overcome it. So what did Noah do? Well, let's talk about it. Survival tip number one, Noah trusted God. And this was not something new for Noah. In fact, if we turn your Bibles to, to Genesis 6, where the story of Noah happens... We see one thing that happens. Genesis 6, 9, it says this. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Before the flood ever hit, Noah already trusted God. And I think that really served him well. I think God could have saved him. if you know God could have done whatever he wanted to. But one of the things that really helped Noah is he had built into his life a habit of trusting God. When you trust God when it's easy... When you trust God when, in the small things, it makes it a little bit more sense to trust him in the very big and hard things, right? And so in our life, we look about, you know, most of us aren't facing catastrophe every single day. But how are we trusting God in the day-to-day things? Noah lived in a society that was not godly. That was the whole point. It wasn't easy to be a believer. And yet he trusted God. There were lots of forces that were coming against him saying, do things a different way. Live for you, Noah. God, he's irrelevant. And Noah said, you know what? God is relevant, and I'm going to trust what he says. I'm going to live according to his way. He walked with God, which means he had this relationship. It doesn't mean like he just walked down the street with God. Right? It means he lived his life in this presence of God. He had this relationship with him where God was real. Now, that's really important because I can develop that. I can do this. You can do this. We can develop a relationship with God that is more than just a Sunday morning experience. Right? This is not just a social club. And for Noah, it wasn't. It was real relationship with the God of the universe. And so he knew how to trust him. So in the little things where God said, you know, talk to me about your problems. Noah's like, oh, I'm going to talk to you about my problems. Where God says, hey, treat your wife this way. Noah's like, all right. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to walk with you in this. I'm I'm going to honor my wife. I'm going to love her. I'm going to speak truth, even when it would be a lot easier for me to lie, because I'm going to trust you, God, that if I tell truth and I become a truth teller, my life will go better, right, because I'm trusting you in this. I'm going to be generous, even though the world says not to be, because I'm going to trust you, God, right? I'm going to be a servant. I'm going to care for other people's needs above my own, even though... In this world, it seems to make sense to look out for number one. I'm going to trust you, God, in these small things. I'm going to build into my life a relationship with you that says that I am actually living with you. You know, we have a word for that in the New Testament. It's called discipleship. It's where we have a, a living, deepening relationship with Jesus. In fact, if you remember last week's memory verse, it says, and to teach disciples to obey all that I've commanded you. This is what it's all about. It's not just blind obedience. 
It's learning to have a deep living relationship with God where we can trust him in the day-to-day affairs. So when big things happen, we already have a trust for him. Now, we are not facing disaster today, but we don't know when the next catastrophe will hit. Hopefully not in my life, but maybe it will. But I'll tell you what, if I trust God today, when the catastrophe does hit, I'm going to be a lot better off. That's the biggest preparedness thing I could ever do. The first thing Noah does is trust God, but he doesn't just trust him before the flood. Look at this. Hebrews 11:7. By faith, no one been warned about these things yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. Noah trusted God in the middle of, of, of the problem. Right, when God shows up and says, I'm going to destroy the earth, except for you, that's when your problem begins. Right? I think that would be like that point where you'd be like, wow, this is scary. And instead of going and saying and living in, in just a, a la-la world, and Noah's like, no, God won't destroy everything. That Jesus won't do that. I'm, just, I'm going to live in denial. Noah said, okay, I'm going to trust you in this big thing. You're telling me you're up to something. I'm going to trust you in the disaster. And so he built an ark because he trusted God. I said, poor him. But look at this. Noah didn't just trust him in the middle of it. At the end of it. Genesis 9.20, Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. Now, in context, God just destroyed the world with a flood. You have a big boat on a mountain, which is not the best place to plant a vineyard. Right? And, and you saw the world end with your own eyes. And God says, come off the ark, right, and start living. Wouldn't you want to stay close to the boat? You know, it's like a nice little boathouse. It's already built, you know. It's already lived in a little bit. So you're kind of comfortable. Noah doesn't do this. He trusts God. God says, I'm not going to wipe out the world again with the flood. Gives him the rainbow and all that kind of stuff. And Noah moves down from the mountain and plants a vineyard. He starts his life again. He trusts God. And see, so we have to follow the steps of Noah in this from beginning to end. We need to begin to trust God now when things are easy for us before the storm, develop that, that relationship where it says, okay, God, I can trust you. I, I believe that what you say is true, and I'm going to follow you. And then when things get hard, to know that God is still in it. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet, right, his, his love for us will not be shaken, nor his covenant of peace be, uh, be removed. God is still with us. We can trust him when... when my driveway erodes and the water starts coming into the church and brings it up to four feet deep and all the stuff there gets ruined. God is still there. I can trust him. He didn't abandon us. And when it's done and when the disaster has passed, my God will still be there and I can still trust him. He didn't neglect us. He didn't drop his child. If he brought us through it, he carried us through it for a reason. And I can begin to live the faithful life after the storm as well. Trust God. It seems like such a simple thing, but it, it takes an act of the will, doesn't it? It takes a choice. So trust God. But that's not, not all that Noah did. Look at this. He also obeyed God. Trust is important. But there's a song that says, you know, trust and obey, trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus and trust and obey. So true. It's not in the Bible, but it's in like a hymnal somewhere. And yes, that person was like was on it when they wrote it. We have to trust God, but if you don't obey him, it's like the most ridiculous thing in the world. It's like, okay, I believe that you're right, but I'm not going to live like you're right. 
Okay, and, and of course, the, the great example of this is, you know, you're sitting in uh, on a boat and the captain comes in and says, the boat is sinking. You need to get onto life rafts. And you're like, well, I trust him because he's the captain and he knows what's happening. And I see the boat sinking. I trust it. But I'm going to sit here and sip cocktails. And you never get off the boat. You drowned. Trust is fantastic, but it has to be followed with some action. And, and this is a really cool thing. O, uh, Noah obeyed God. It says this. Genesis 6.22. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Genesis 7.5. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. In fact, you can go through that story and find, find it time and time again where Noah is just doing what God says. Simple as that. How do we carry ourselves through the storm? Well, Noah had a habit of obeying God. So when we start in our life by we trust, we know that he's true. When, when it doesn't look like God is right, I'm going to trust that he is because I'm going to trust that he's smarter than me. He's got a bigger picture than me. That he has, you know, understands what's really happening. So when his moral compass is different than mine, I'm going to follow his moral compass. When his commands are different than my desires, I'm going to follow his commands. I'm going to trust him. But the second part is when God tells me to do something, when he puts a, a call on my spirit, when he gives me a command in Scripture... I'm going to see that not as law to obey so I can not go to hell. We've been saved from that. But when I see that he tells me to do something, I'm going to have to do it because he knows what he's talking about. Noah's in the habit of that. Now, if Noah had a rebellious life before the flood and was like, God, I don't care what you say, probably God wouldn't have saved him and we wouldn't be here. But say God just wanted to. And God said, all right, Noah, build an ark. Noah's like, I'm not going to do that. That's a lot of work. And you know how expensive an ark is? Plus, I don't want to be in a boat with animals. right? If Noah just did this, would God have built him the ark? Probably not. God asked Noah to build it. Now, God could make an ark any day he wants to. He could say, ark, boom. There you go. So easy. But he didn't. He asked Noah to be part of it. He gave Noah part of the dignity to be part of his plan. How cool is that? Noah had to be in the habit of obeying God. So when God asked him to do something difficult, he was ready. That's as simple as that. And so in our lives, we look at the things that God tells us to do to set ourselves up. Well, you might think this has nothing to do with overcoming disaster, but it's everything with overcoming disaster. If you look in God's word and he's put onto your heart that, you know, you need to start talking to your, your, your spouse or your kids or your neighbor nicer, right, to be treating them with respect and they just drive you nuts, but you don't do it. Like you can't control your tongue around them and you just want to just, you know, attack them and you're not obeying him, right? You can't obey him in this little tiny thing. What makes you think that when a disaster hits, you're going to be ready for, to do the bigger things, right? To care for the enemy that you really can't stand who now lost his house? <laughs> How are you going to have the compassion that you need for him? And when he tells you to give up something very precious to you because you see that your neighbor needs it more than you do, how are you going to do that? See, we had to begin with the small things, obeying God just as a daily part of life. That's why it's so important that we begin reading his word, understanding what does God want us to do? By saying, God, what is this that you, you have for me? And just in those daily things, saying, okay, God, I'm surrendering my will to yours and I'm actually doing it. Watch this, though. This is amazing. Genesis 8, 15 through 19. This is after the flood. This is the part of the story that blows my mind more than anything else in the whole story. It says this, God said to Noah, come out of the ark. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wives, his wife's sons and all the animals and everything. 
if I just came through a cataclysmic flood, granted, I would probably want to be off the boat because I've been in there for a year, and it's, you know, you're like, ah. but at the same time, I just came through a cataclysmic flood, and God says, trust me, come on out. Do you think that would be an easy step to take? I think it's probably the hardest thing Noah ever did. I think it's a lot harder than getting on the boat to coming out and saying, how do I know that I'm not going to mess it up and God's not going to squash me too? Right? How do I know that he's not going to change his mind? I want to be close to this thing. Right? I want to be really, I don't, thank you, Lord, I'm safe in here. This is my happy spot and, and I am insulated from judgment in here and so I'm happy. I don't want to go out there into that world which is now cold and miserable and muddy and scary. I like it here. Noah left because God said, do it. Right? And if Noah didn't, we would be, humanity would have been a very short existence, right? It would have been an awful place. We would have killed each other on that ark eventually. Right? You, you know what it's like if you're in like a family trip, you're all in like a car together. Yeah, they wouldn't have lasted long came out of the ark because he trusted God. He obeyed him enough. He trusted him enough that he obeyed him and he got off the ark. And then he talked his wife and his, his sons and their wives to do the same. And all of the animals, of course, obeyed God. So they're going to do what they're going to do. Amazing. You see, that was a big step. And Noah was able to follow God in this very big, hard command because he was able to obey God just through the rest of his life, just daily, had that obedience that was part of his life. So we trusted God to say, all right, this is what I want you to do. In our life, it's the same way. We look at the little things and we obey God. And then when the big things come, we are ready. Because when catastrophe hits, God's going to tell us to do some really hard things. Right? God's going to tell us to, you know what, this, you're going to have to live without some stuff right now that you're used to. And you're going to have to have a good attitude in the midst of this. And that's not going to be hard to do that. Right? And you might have to go and to help people and to serve and to work, and you might be exhausted, but God tells us to love our neighbors as ourselves, so I'm going to do that. He's going to ask us to do hard things. And I'm not going to be ready to do that unless I have a lifestyle of obedience beforehand. So prepare yourselves. Don't just trust. Obey. But here's the thing that I, I love this the most. Most of us would think, okay, I can survive the storms of life if I just trust and obey God. He's going to get me through them. But then we're not really overcoming, are we? We're just surviving. We're just making it through by the skin of our teeth, by the, by, you know, just by fear. We're going to make it through this horrible thing. I'm going to trust God. And I'm going to obey him. He's going to get me through it. Right? And we lead to very grumpy, bitter Christians because at that point we, we fail to see the bigger picture. Remember the memory verse. Mountains can be shaken. Hills be wiped away. But God is still with us. He loves us. He has a covenant of peace with us. He has never abandoned us. And if he called us to go through something, there is a darn good reason for it. And he's got something powerful he's going to do through it. Romans 8 says this, that, you know, everything that we suffer, God has a purpose for and will turn it out for the good of those who love him, called according to his purpose. Even going through a horrible flood and losing your business. Even going through a horrible flood and losing your house. Even going through a horrible flood and losing friends. God can do something greater. And it's the context of that, to understand that God is bigger than our circumstances, that God is better than we could possibly fathom, is what gives us a joy that cannot be taken away, that cannot be eroded, that no amount of rain or mud or fire can can take from us. 
Our God is good. Our God is loving. Our God is powerful and he cares about me. Remember, he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God is with us. And because of this, we see what Noah did. He understood this. He walked with God. He was able to worship God in the midst of tragedy. And this is where the power to overcome really is there. This is, where, this is the part that gives me goosebumps. It's just amazing. Watch this. It says, Genesis 6, this is the account of Noah's family. Noah's a righteous, blameless man, right? He was in the habit of worshiping God. Now, times weren't easy for him, right? But it was a lot easier before the flood than after. I think we all agree with that. He was in the habit of worshiping God in the midst of a corrupt society. How many of us think about, oh, God, where are you? Our society seems to be going downhill. Everybody's walking away from you. Are you in the habit of worshiping God? God is alive today, right? Our commission, we're going to reach this valley and saturate it with the gospel over and over and over again until the good news of Jesus just permeates every single cell of this community. That's what we're about. We need to be a people that worships God, that trusts him in the hardship and knows that he is there. As ugly as life is, God is more beautiful. And he is there, and he is present, and he is powerful, and he is working. So if God has to use ugly things to do beautiful ends, right, we can trust him with that. And we can, if we trust and we obey, we know that he's going to do great things. We can worship just like, I mean, today, we can truly worship God. And we don't worship God because our lives are good. We worship God because God is good. He is always good. He's where our hope comes from. Do you get this? It's so powerful. And because Noah was a man that worshipped God when it was not always easy or convenient, he was able to, look at this, the very first thing that Noah did when he got off the ark. Noah built an altar to the Lord, taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, and he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The very first thing that he does. Right? I think the first thing I would have done was to go out and find a private tree. Right? After, a, you know, like a year on an ark with animals and family. That's probably the first thing I would have done. But no. First thing he does, he gets off the ark, he builds an altar, and you feel bad for these birds because they just like survived, you know, catastrophe. They'll survive a year on the ark, and the first thing that happens to them is like, <laughs> but, you know, they're like, we made it. Nope, no, you didn't. Sorry, bird. <laughs> right? But for us, I mean, we realize that Noah, that this, wasn't, this wasn't after the reconstruction. This was before the Reconstruction began. The world just, pow, everything ended, and Moa walks off and just sees, like, I mean, you saw the, uh, the Estes after the flood. Was it re- really pretty? No. It had mud and rocks and everything. It was all disaster. And that's what he walked out to. And there was nobody to come to rescue him. He was just standing. It's like, wow. And the first thing he does is, you know what, God? You are good. You are good. And he chooses to worship, and he overcomes the disaster. Because Noah knew what we need to all live is God is bigger than this world and he's bigger than us and he's bigger than our circumstances and he is the one that has overcome. And because he has overcome, that's where our joy comes from. So we look at these things. How do we overcome this? This is a nice picture. There's Noah's Ark up there and there's like bears playing with kangaroos. That really doesn't happen. (laughs) But I thought it was a pretty picture. We can overcome we can overcome disaster. It doesn't matter how bad it is. This is what Noah did. A real man overcoming a real, real deal, horrible disaster. Look at what he did. He trusted God. 
He trusted God before, in the middle, and after. He just trusted God. He said, God, I know that you know more, better than I do. I'm in the habit of trusting you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to trust you. But then also he says, I'm going to do what you tell me to do, God. I'm going to get in the habit of doing that. And he had 480 years of practice before God threw the ark at him, right? So we'll give him his, his due. I mean, he had some time to practice this. We have time in our lives today to obey God and trust him and say, okay, God, I'm going to do what you asked me to do. And when we do that, not to lose sight. Noah, because he walked with God, because he had this relationship with God, he realized the truth that this world can never strip from us, that our God is a good God, and he is a powerful God, and he is a loving God, and he is a present God, and he is a God that can carry us through anything. Now, that's what carried Noah, not just into disaster and helped him survive it, but to overcome it. So the question is for us in our lives, how are we applying these? Right. Because I tell you what, if you read the newspaper or you turn on the news and you want to be depressed, so you turn on the news, I guess if your life is too happy and you're like, let's see, I'm feeling pretty good. Let's turn on the news so I can be disappointed again and, and depressed. If you turn it on, you will see everywhere in the world right now there's a disaster somewhere. And tomorrow there's going to be something new that we just couldn't expect. Right. This world, if I don't have God, is a terrible, terrifying place. Terrifying. But we have God. We have God. And I don't know, maybe it'll be a thousand years before we have another big flood up here. Or 500 years before we have some other big fire that burns down people's houses. Maybe. That would be awesome. But even if it is, shouldn't we be a people that are in the habit of this so we are ready? So when disaster comes, we could be a people of hope, prepared, ready to do God's work in our community. Ready to bring his kingdom in power like he asked us to. This is how we do it. And if we are doing this, if today you're learning to trust, obey, and to worship God, if that's part of it, then it doesn't matter what the disaster is. Yes, it's going to be hard. Yeah, we're going to be disappointed. Yeah, there's going to be pain. But we will not fear. And that's huge. And we will not lose our faith. And we will not lose our joy. And we will overcome and we will help others do the same. So, there is power in this. Follow Noah. Now, how do I this to my life. Well, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, and as they do, I would like you guys to be pulling out your connection card. Because on the back, I have some ideas to help us get started on this. Because sometimes you're like, hey, Aaron, that's a great idea in philosophy. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to obey God. I'm going to worship God. How? Have some ideas. On the back of your, of your connection card, first thing I'm going to do is memorize that wonderful passage from Isaiah. You know, when disaster hits, I don't know if you remember, but when it hit and everything was going crazy, first thing that happened is my neighbor came over because he's an older gentleman and he had water in his basement and he didn't know what to do and it was like 8.30 at night and he'd been squeegeeing it out all by himself for like three hours and didn't know what to do. And so I went down there and you know we squeegeed and squeegeed and squeegeed and I was just exhausted and I could hardly think of anything because I was just so tired. And then my wife came over and said, Aaron, we've got water in our house too. I was like, oh, what do we do? Right, so I'm running back and forth, you know, for like three days. You get exhausted in the midst of a disaster. You get overwhelmed. And it's the things that are embedded in you or what you carry with you through those, those times. Embed scripture into that. So when disaster hits, you don't, you don't question your faith. You don't question, God, are you here? Have you abandoned us? You remember, though the mountains can be shaken, the hills be removed, I know the truth of God's word. <laughs> He's with me in this. And it will change your prayers and your perspective and your ability to respond. 
Memorize this passage. Put it part of your heart. Maybe that's what you do this week as you commit to. I'm going to memorize this passage. I'm going I'm to meditate on it. Maybe this. Maybe you're going to read Genesis 6 through 9 and read the account of Noah. Say, Noah, how did you do this? Right? And read about it. And see his story. And learn from it. Take some time every week. Read a chapter. And pray about it. Say, God, teach me from Noah's experience. That's why it's recorded for us. How about this? Worship and praise God each day this week. Make it part of that act of the will. You say, God, today I'm going to find something to worship you for. Today I'm going to find something to praise you about. Right? I don't know what you're going through. Chances are not all of us have like Disneyland lives all of the time. So in the midst of the day-to-day difficulties, choose to worship God now. In the small things, say, God, you know what? I'm having trouble with this, but I know that you're bigger, and I'm going to praise you for that. God, I'm having a hard time with this person, and they're bringing me pain in my life. But you know what, God? You love me, and you're never going to abandon me, and I love you for that. I praise you for that. Choose, commit to every day. Just get into the habit of just praising God and worshiping him. You'll be amazed at the power of that. It seems so small, so powerful. How about this? How about this? How about attend the next six weeks of the surviving life? Why? Because I hope you see that these, these tools right here aren't just a helpful for natural disaster. These tools are going to carry us through every disaster of life. You know what? There are a lot of other storms in life, but the tools that we get to overcoming them are pretty universal. Maybe, you know, you take a look at it and you say, you know, I need to do more than just survive my life. I want to overcome the storms. I'm not a victim in this. God has called me to be his agent of change and hope and life in the midst of this. I'm an, he, in fact, God even calls you an overcomer. Isn't that cool? Maybe you say, you know what, I'm going to commit to these next six weeks. I'm going to be here. I'm going to learn about God. I'm going to learn these principles, and I'm going to start applying them. <laughs> right? That's what I'm going to do. Maybe that's what you commit to. Or maybe there's just something else that I haven't come up with because I'm not the smartest man in the world. And, you know, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. Maybe God's telling you that this is some way that he wants you to respond. Okay? If that's the case, write it down. And then what I want you to do in just a few minutes, I'm going to have you guys put it into the offering plate, right? Because we're going to take up our offering. And as we do, I want you to give this offering of you into that. Obviously, if you have a prayer request, here's a cool thing. God's not the only one that's with you. We are too. The church is with you. And uh, so if we can help, we can pray for and help carry your burdens. That's what we're called to do. And we love to do that. So please let us know your prayer request. So in just a couple minutes, take this as well as your offerings, put them in the, in the offering basket. It should be a phenomenal thing, a way of uh, putting practice to this. Now, before we end, very special day, uh, before the service, uh, Melissa Thompson came up to me well, actually, kind of b- between aisles. And she said, you know what? I need to join this church, which is an amazing thing, because, which is awesome. She's been worshiping with us for a long time, and so she's been so... So, Melissa, I'm going to have you come up, and we're going to have a... I want to welcome you into the church family. Now, Melissa's a believer. She's been baptized. She's about 13, right, she said? Yeah. So she's been walking with the Lord for a long time. She's been part of our fellowship, just making it official today. So, Melissa, I'm going to have you give me the right hand of fellowship and just repeat the confession of faith after me. I believe, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the, Christ the, Son the Son of the living God, and I choose him. I've chosen him, I've chosen him <laughs> as, my Lord as my Lord and my Savior. And my Savior. Awesome. Well, wonderful. Welcome to the family, which is so great. So, an example of trusting and obeying God and worshiping. So that's an amazing thing. All right. Well, let's pray for Melissa and let's pray for our offering. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, that you are powerful and good and present and and just a, a God that gives us hope that cannot be taken. I think you're bigger than anything this world has to can throw at us because you created the world, Lord. And 
And, and Father, you can even work through disaster, amazing and good things. So, Father, I pray for us as a congregation. Help us, Lord, to trust you. Help us be a people that obeys you, Father. Give us the wisdom and the sermon and, and the character that we can worship you, no matter what, in good times or bad, because you are always good in good times or bad. And you are always up to good things, no matter what our circumstances are. So, God, we thank you for that. And, Lord, we... we Thank you that to, for, for the offerings that we'll be getting this week and, and, Father, for the commitments that are being made. I pray that you bless both of those and change us as, as a congregation to be more into your likeness and about your business as we bring your love to this community in a powerful way. And, Father, today we celebrate with Melissa as she's chosen to take that step of obedience to be part of a church family. And, Father, I pray that you would bless her and protect her, God, and to help her grow even more in her faith. And I pray that you would equip her and help us as a church to equip her and surround her and encourage her in the powerful ministry that you have already prepared for her. And, Lord, I pray in all these things that you would bring your kingdom in power to the Estes Valley. And we wait with expectancy for Jesus to return. But until he does, let us be your body at work here today. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.